Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Okay, after that kind of worship, it should have been way better than that. So let's try that again. How's everybody doing? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, let's give it up. Man, we have a packed house today. Lights come up. Look up, look, look upstairs. It is packed in this place. Man, let's also say hi to everybody up there. Look at them. That's the wild bunch up there, I could tell. Keep them down. We need some ushers up there to take care of them. Do we call them ushers here? We call them hosts. We need some hosts. Um, man, it's such a good time. Hey, can we do one other thing real quick? We have a great opportunity today. Um, Greg Manns and the group down there at Sherwood led worship. And now we are piped in down there at Sherwood right now. So let's welcome in our Sherwood Church. Man, it's great to have them with us. So if you have been here any length of time, we're in a series called Revive. Uh, Pastor Will's already talked about that. And we have a baseline passage. And it's interesting over just kind of reading it over the last couple of weeks. And then this week specifically, I have kind of a refreshed view of this, uh, just kind of a different view. And I, so Psalms 119.25 says, I lie in the dust. And we've been talking about so many of us feel that way. So many feel like, Maybe our marriages or our lives or maybe our businesses or whatever it is that we're, it's just lying in the dust. We feel like, like, man, I could really use a second chance. And then we read the, the B part of that and it just says, you know, revive us by your word. And that's what, that's really kind of what hit me this week is that passage is talking about second chances. And I'm so thankful we serve a God of second chances. Anybody else in this place that God is still a God of second chances, even when we, third chances, anybody ever need a third, fourth, fourth, fourth chance. Fifth, okay, so we're all on the same sheet of music. And as I was reading that, I was thinking about, and I didn't talk much about this last week because I didn't want to gloat or anything, but you know, University of Georgia won a little natty last week or two weeks ago. But there's a story that came out of that. There's a point to all this. There's a story that came out. Stetson Bennett, the quarterback, was really a guy that had a second chance. If you don't know his story, I'm not going to go that deep into it. It's, it's not that important, but he comes onto the University of Georgia as a walk-in, which, walk which means he has no scholarship. Like, he doesn't have any privileges. He basically tried out. As a matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, in one of our threads, there's a walk-on going on uh, in a couple of weeks. And um, I think all of our staff, male staff, have four years of eligibility. So we're going up there. We're going to give it a try. I'm going to try out for quarterback because I think I can do a little bit better than Stetson. No. Um, but so he, he, well, then he realized is that he, he's not going to start. And I think at that point he was behind... If I'm not mistaken, it was Jason, um, uh, Eason, um, what was his name? Jacob Eason and um, Jake Fromm. And so he realized that he was going to be third string at best. So he leaves and he goes to a junior college. He starts there. He's a rock star down there. And then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hits and all that. And then we lose a couple quarterbacks. Justin Fields goes to Ohio State, which didn't turn out to be anything. <laughs> Go dogs. And so... So basically, Stetson comes back, and he still doesn't start. He gets his first start last year against Auburn. I think he wins. But then he comes in this year as the second string behind JT Daniels. And then JT goes down. And now we're national champions. And I literally thought, like, this guy, there should be a 30 for 30 on ESPN. I mean, this is the new Netflix original that, that's on this guy because he deserves it from where he's come from. But then it made me think about how I've gotten second chances, and you've gotten second chances. And then I realized this, that Bible, the Bible that we read uh, week after week after week, hopefully day after day after day, from Genesis to Revelation is a story of a God that gives people second chances. 
I mean, Abraham, like Abraham needed a second chance. Abraham made a really poor decision. He decided to go against God's will. He, he was told that he was gonna, you know, have the seed as plentiful as the start of the sky, but he couldn't wait. He was impatient. So he tried, tried to do it with Hagar and they ended up having an Ishmael. And Ishmael and, and, and Israel have been going at each other for thousands of years now, it, it, or, or Isaac, the, the lineage of Isaac. It's because he didn't do it the right way, but God gave him a second chance and he ended up having Isaac, the promised son. And in fact, the seed was like the stars of the heaven. And then I think about like a guy named, I don't know if you ever heard, Jonah. Jonah's a, another one. Like Jonah gets a, a mission from God and he, he's told to go, to go to Nineveh. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So he gets on the boat and the boat starts to rock. There's a horrible storm. The captain kind of looks around and says, who's, who's the cause of this? Whose God is upset right now? Jonah stands up and says, it's my God. And, and, and then the captain says, okay, out of the ship. He throws, he throws him out of the ship. Well, he gets thrown up on the island of Tarshish, and there's one line in Scripture that every time I read it, it just, it, just, it just grabs my heart, and it says that the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Somebody say amen to that. And then he did what God told him to do, and he went to Nineveh. Uh, how about Samson? You know, the strongest, the biggest, is a great warrior, and he's fighting Philistines. There are all kinds of promises that God's given him. But then he tells the woman about his hair being the strength. And it's interesting because after that, you would have thought that's ruined. He's, it, God can never use him again. And we pick up the scene where he's holding the pillars. Uh, he's holding the pillars up. And do you know that he kills more in his death when he lets the pillars down than he killed when he was alive? God gave him a second chance. You want a really second chance story? Read, read the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea is a story about uh, uh, his wife, Gomer, and she needed a second chance from the name. I hope there's no gomers in here today. If, if there is, we love you in Jesus' name. I'm gonna give you a second chance. We can change that name today. No, but like Gomer, and if you don't know the story of Gomer, like you don't have to, but let, let me just, she was married to Hosea and then she went, she went astray. And she started, she started, she literally became a prostitute. And in that, in that, she got sold off and sold off and sold off several times. And now Hosea finds her on the auction block. She's literally sitting in an auction block and he's bidding on her and he wins the bid and he says, now you're mine and you will never go back to that lifestyle. And I'm gonna tell you what that is. That's a symbolism of a second chance that Jesus Christ went to the wooden auction block called a cross for my sins so I didn't have to live the life I used to live. Somebody say amen to that. I don't have to be that anymore. Got a second chances. And then I think, man, the greatest second chance at least we see in the New Testament, has got to be the Apostle Paul. I mean, and we have kind of a tainted view because we live on this side of history. We live on this side of history where we see he was a great preacher and he wrote most of the New Testament, that he started churches all over the place. I mean, the worldview and the church view that we have right now is by and large because of the way Paul was, but that's not the way Paul always was. On the other side, he was notorious. His name was actually Saul and he was actually killing people like us. He actually took pleasure in killing Christians. And then all of a sudden, one day, something happened. Something changed. He was an enemy by his own admission, but there was a revival moment when Jesus caught his life and all of a sudden it changed. And that revival turned into a revolution that we've been seeing for 2,000 years. If you have a Bible, I want you to kind of just go to that moment with me. It's in Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 3. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And I want you to just kind of get a grasp of what's going on here. And, and, and what I want us all to understand is 
when God has brought revival, that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks. When God brings a revival to our lives, there's a byproduct. Something happens because of that byproduct. If we're the same way we walk in, something is amiss, something's wrong. There should be a change anytime we have an encounter with the living God. He should change our lives. Our eyes should be open. Our hearts should be open. Our minds should be set free. Yeah. And this is what it says in verse 3. And he was approaching Damascus on this mission. And the mission, literally, if you read verse 1 and 2, it was to kill more Christians. He was going into the city to kill more believers, people just like us. So he was approaching Damascus on this mission. And a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I love verse five. It says, who are you, Lord? Lowercase L, not big case L. But the, the interesting thing, when I was seeking Christ, when Christ was seeking me, I knew there was something else out there. I just didn't know it was a, a, a uppercase Lord. You know what I'm getting at? And sometimes in our lives, we know there's something else out there. We just haven't figured it all out. And so here Paul is, he's asking the question, who, who, are, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He said, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He says, the man with Saul stood speechless for they heard a sound of someone's voice, but no one, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So he had his companions that led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. He said, now, verse 10, it kind of transitions. Now there's a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Can you, you get this picture? Like, the, like, literally, the Lord's calling. If the Lord's calling, like, it's one of those moments like, okay, okay, what do you want? And I love the next response. He says, yes, Lord. Can I throw something out that's not part of the message today? You can't call, call him Lord and say no. Yeah. There's no way. You can't. He tells you to do something. You can't say no. He's either Lord of everything or he's Lord of nothing. So it's one of those deals where Ananias is saying, yes, Lord, I'm ready, I'm waiting, say something to me. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. I need to stop there for a second. I didn't even say this in first service. This is good stuff right here. So many people are looking to go somewhere far to do missions. So many people are looking to go downtown. And you know what he tells him to do? He goes, go next door. Go right down the road to Straight Street. Literally turn around, walk to the edge of the corner, make a left, and there is your mission field. So many times we're looking for the mission field and the mission field is in our backyard. Yeah. It's right with us. It's right, it's our neighbor. It's the person at Walmart. It's the person at, at Publix. And so literally what Ananias does is he goes to Straight Street and says, when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and lay hands on him to see uh, so he can see again. But the Lord said, but Lord, that's our response a lot of times too, isn't it? Yes, Lord, but Lord. Right? Yes, Lord. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to go to Saul? I'm going to lay hands on him, all right? I'm going to throat punch him is what I'm going to do. He's been trying to kill people like us. There is no way. I'm not even getting close to that guy. The Lord exclaimed, Manus, I've heard many people talk, to, talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he says, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon the name. But the Lord said, go to Saul because he's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And I love this next little part. If we go down, it says, he puts his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Did y'all catch that? 
It's, it's not my enemy. It's not the person that has been antagonizing me. It's not the person that's trying to kill me. He has now recognized Brother Saul. And he's saying, Brother Saul, there's something special that's going to happen in your life. And he says this, Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent, sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and he was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and he regained, regained his strength. That moment was Paul's revival. And that revival turned into a world revolution. And he was never the same again. He wasn't perfect, but he was trying day by day by day by day to be exactly what God wanted him to be. And there's some truth that we look at Paul's life about how when revival happens in our life, exactly what happens or at least what should happen. And one of the very first things I get from the life of Paul as I've read through Paul, as I've looked at his writings, as I've listened to his teaching is this. Revived people are compelled to find their purpose. Right away, the very first thing he did was when he wanted to find his purpose. Has anybody ever been around somebody that's night and day, they know their purpose? Like everything they do, they wake up, they think about it, they, they, they go to bed, they're thinking about it, they wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. That was Paul. Paul had figured out what his purpose was. His purpose was literally to go to the Gentiles. Nobody else was there. Everybody was going to the Jews. That he was going to minister to the Gentiles. And, and listen, if there was a, a, a kind of a statement that sums up Paul's life, it was this. Uh, he said, I'm not an important person, but I have an important job to do. I have something that God has laid on. I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission from God. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine how that played out in his life? Man, I've been around people that their, their purpose is so clear. And everything they talk about and everything they say and everything they do revolves around that one purpose. I, I was reading a story about uh, Mark uh, Zuckerberg, uh, the, the, the founder of Facebook. And one of the things that happened, um, so he's 20 years old and he invents Facebook in his, in his dorm room. Like, could you imagine being 20 years old? Now, let me just tell you how, how, how big Facebook is right now. now this, this was the statistic that I read. One out of every five people in the world log on to Facebook every month. Think about this in third world countries and the billions of, billions of people that don't have computers. One out of every five people. So he's sitting there at now 22 years old. And one of the executives from Yahoo comes and talks to him. And they offer him $1 billion. $1 billion. <laughs> they say, we'll give you a billion dollars. This is, this is years ago. $1 billion if you'll, if you'll give us the rights to Facebook. And so he calls all his, his people that are on his board. And he talks to them all. And they're all saying, you need to sell it. You need to sell it. Do you imagine what you can do with a billion dollars? Could you, could, you imagine, could you imagine what you could do with a billion dollars? And you know what he said? He said, I would do the same exact thing and I would build another platform just like Facebook. So why sell something that I already like? He was passionate about it. He didn't want to give it. That was his baby. That was, that, was, that was everything he invested his life in. And then it made me think, is there anything in our lives that, that is so important that even a billion dollars would steer us away from that? What would happen if there was something in our lives that even a billion dollars would steer us away from that? A couple years ago, um, I got offered another job at another church and it was a really lucrative job and it was good pay. It was all that kind of stuff. And I was sitting with one of my, one of my mentors and I just said, so what do you think about this? And he goes, what do you think about leaving your baby all, all by itself? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, this is your baby. This is your baby right here. He said, you're willing to go from a number one position to a number two position and not be like, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then I got to thinking about it. This is what I think about all the time. And I, a billion dollars may steer me a little bit. I'm just kidding. Will, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I could do with a billion dollars? 
I could reach a lot more people. We'll change the name of the church to just Journey. Not Journey Community Church, just Journey. Just Journey, that's it. Can I, can, I, can I ask you a serious question real quick? Is there anything in your life that you know, God, it's a purpose that you have, that even a billion dollars wouldn't sway you? Could you imagine how that would impact your calendar every day? Could you, just the way you scheduled life, could you imagine how that would work? If it was that important that not even a billion dollars, could you imagine how that would impact? If you put that much time, if we put that much time into that God-given vision, that God-given purpose, what would happen in our communities? How would it change? See, that was the same sense of purpose that Paul had all through his life, the preaching of the gospel. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter three, verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. There's another word for that right there. You know what that word is? Servant. A servant. That I, that I, I want to live, I, I am going to give my life for that thing. I'm going to give my life for that cause. That it's so important to me, I'm willing to do a, even a billion dollars. Paul was consumed with the mission. And that word prisoner, I'm telling you, it doesn't do it justice. He said, you know, I freely give my life to you. I freely give, I surrender my life. I give you everything. We were singing a song about that this morning. I lay my life down. What would happen if we ever really in our lives, what would happen if we ever really laid our lives down? How could God use us if we absolutely surrendered to the purpose of God in our lives? What would that look like? See, his purpose in life, see, a lot of people think it was just to preach. Anybody can preach, and I don't mean that to be ugly, but his, his purpose was not just to preach. It wasn't just to be a religious person. It was to have impact and life change in the people around him. And he was going against social discord. He was going against racial discrimination. He was going against all kinds of things for years and years and years. Gentiles and Jews weren't even allowed in the same room. And he's going, you know something? The Jesus that died for the Jews is the same one that died for the Gentiles. And we need to tell them about that. And we see the biggest argument in the Bible in Acts. And we see a discrepancy because the Jews are asking the Gentiles to do something that not even the Jews are willing to do. He was so passionate about it. He says in Ephesians chapter three, see if you can sense the passion. He goes, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. First, first Corinthians, he says this, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And then he says this in the NIV, and I love this, I am compelled, I can't stop, I've got to do it. I'm compelled to preach the gospel. Galatians chapter one, verse 11. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. And then in verse 15, but when God. Man, I'm telling you, some of us need to have a but when God moment. Some of us, have, we need to have an encounter just like he did on the Damascus Road. We, we go, okay, God, but when I encountered God, I couldn't do anything but preach the gospel or tell the world about how good Jesus is. Yeah. But when God, who sent me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal a son to me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles. It's interesting, in 2013, there was a speech, a commencement speech given by Drew Houston, he's the founder of Dropbox. A lot of us use Dropbox in our businesses. And he's doing a commencement speech. And I think he really kind of, he got the essence of what purpose looks like. And this is why I'm gonna read this. He says, when I think about 
about it. The happiest and most successful people I know don't just love what they do. They're obsessed with solving an important problem, something that matters to them. And then he uses this illustration. He says, they remind me of a dog chasing a tennis ball. Their eyes go a little crazy. The leash snaps and they go bounding off, plowing through whatever gets in their way. So it's not pushing yourself. It's about finding your tennis ball, the thing that pulls you. You know what we need to do in the church? We need to find our tennis ball. We need to find our purpose. What does that look like? That we get starry eyes and we, and we snap the leash because we're so excited about what God's doing in our lives. See, every person in this room has a purpose, but it wasn't created for you to serve. You were created to serve your purpose. Are you serving your purpose? Are you doing what God's called you to do? So the first thing is, I think anybody that's had a revive moment with God is on this on this journey to find their purpose. And the second thing I think happens is revive people, revive people, understand humility. And that's not in the world we live in. There's not a lot of humility in the world we live in. I love the way he talks about it in Romans chapter seven, verse 18. He says, for I know nothing good dwells in me. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. He, says, he says, that is that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Like there's this war going on. Every one of us has it. There's this war going on. For I, for, he said, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want is what's keep, what, keep, what I keep, going, uh, keep on doing. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is, this is a lot of do's and don'ts right here. <laughs> I'm slobbering all over my plate. I got, I got a Holy Ghost spit coming out. So now if I do what I do not want is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in many memories. Now watch this, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Do you catch that? Another place in 2 Timothy, he says, I am the, the, the chief of all sin. I'm the worst of all sinners. And, and in Romans chapter 7, he says it like, I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says it like this, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called. You know what he's saying right there? I've got to keep my ego in check. I don't think this is false humility. I think he was so pushed out in the front of what he was doing all his life, that he was the chief of everything, that he realized that he had to stop believing what everybody was saying. Paul did, see, Paul knew these statements were, were, were false. He knew that everybody was equal in God's sight. He knew there was no Jew, no Gentile. He knew all that. But he also knew that his ego was big. And I'm going to tell you something. In the world we live in, our ego is big, isn't it? A lot of us. A lot of us. I mean, you, you, you watch any, you're like, I'm the greatest. No, you're not. Not even close to the greatest. It's interesting to me. He chose to view himself from this perspective. And I think it was honestly to keep his ego in check. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw out, and then I'm going to explain this. The problem with a lot of us is that we believe our own press. Let, let me throw this out. So between services, I'm walking out in the hallway, and somebody walks up to me. Whew, man, that message was out of this world. Yes, it was. <laughs> Pat me on the back. There was a group of people out there. And they were like, man, that was one of the best. I needed, I, well, this is the big one. I needed to hear that today. And you know what starts to happen? You start to believe your press. You, you start to be, I'm, I'm the best speaker that's ever walked the planet. Like, Andy who? Right? Like, 
Me and Jesus, right? Paul's not even in the same, like it's me, me and Jesus right here. And then you know what starts to happen? We start to believe our press to the point where we, all, we also start to believe our lies. And we start to think, you know something, I'm untouchable. And, and what starts to happen is you all start seeing the highlight reel and that's all you see. You maybe see the 30 minutes up here, or maybe you see the 10 minutes when I'm walking around it there, but you don't see how I treat my wife or how I, I treat my wife fine, but how I treat my wife or, 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 or how I treat my kids or how I treat the employees or how, you know, what I say out and like how I act and if I'm giving everybody the finger and all that. You don't see any of that. You see my highlight reel. And it's easy for me to start believing my press, just like it's easy for you to start believing your press. Amen. And what would happen if we just said, okay, you know something? I'm not going to put myself in that position to believe my press. As a matter of fact, I'm going to humbly walk away from some of that stuff. See, that's why Paul was doing what he was doing. He wanted to make sure that everybody understood. It's interesting. I, I read a lot of books, and years ago I read a book by Pat Riley. Some of you know who Pat Riley is. He was the coach of the Los Angeles uh, Lakers. In the 80s, he had one of the best teams. He had, like, Magic John. There was a, a bunch of amazing players. They were favored to, bring, to win the um, NBA um, whatever, the national, the championship, what we call it? Finals, okay? They didn't even make it through the first round because they were so arrogant and Magic was worried about this person getting more press and more ball. And so Pat Riley writes this book and the name of the book was called The Winner Within. And one of the chapters he talks about this, he talks about the disease of me. The disease of me. See, what happens, I believe, is the disease of me leads to the defeat of us. Yeah. When I start believing my own press and I think it's all about me, what happens is us breaks down. Yeah. If it's all about this guy up here, if it's all about Justin, if it's all about somebody over there, if it's all about whatever, we lose the fact that God wants us, the body fitly joined together, each one doing its part. It's not the head is the best. Do you ever try to walk when you stub a toe? That toe is important. Right? We have, to, we have to understand, we have to understand the disease in me. Listen, I've watched this. I've watched this first. I've seen it in the church. Let me say that again. I've seen it in the church where certain ministries, we call them silos around here, where certain ministries think they're more important than other ministries, and those leaders think that they're more important than other leaders, and that those people should get special treatment. I've seen it in church people. I've seen it in staffs. I've seen it in businesses. As a matter of fact, I see this a lot, and we see it. in the world of customer no service. I found out yesterday I am now an employee of Walmart. I've got to check myself out every time I go there. So, um, if I would have known that, I would have I would have, I would have applied for unemployment years ago. But I'm sitting there yesterday or two days ago, whatever it was, two days ago, uh, two days ago, and I was just getting a couple things, a pack of gum, and I forget what the other thing I was getting, a mount for a TV. And if you go to the left side of Walmart, the Evans one, like if you're looking outside, there's the, the there's a self-check areas. And every one of those areas has a light on the top. Every one of those lights were red, which means no progress. Mr. Patient here, right? Mr. Patient, I'm sitting there like, it's an easy fix. Just throw it back in the bag and walk away. We're fine. I'll have to push cancel and we're good, right? 10 minutes later. Now, I love Walmart, the Walmart, the Walmart, right? But I'm sitting there, and, and it's like, and so this lady who looks nice, I guess, 
she comes up like, like, how dare you call me off of my smoke break? Like, and she's like throwing her hands up in the air. Like, you're just going to have to wait on me. Like, oh my goodness. Like what's going on? The disease of me. She was more important than those, those customers. She was more important than the reputation of Walmart. And that happens all the time in the world we live in. And see, I don't believe people that have been revived have that. I believe people that are revived have a sense of humility. Let me give you the last thing right here. Revived people, revived people go through life with a different perspective. I'm going to throw this out. I'm going to explain this one a little bit. Several years ago, Ken Blanchard came out with a book, and it was called The One Minute Manager. This one little book just helped you just manage time. It was, it was kind of one of those books that just, you know, keep, keep your, your day timer uh, straight and all that. Well, overnight, it became a national success. Um, I think they sold 11 million copies. So everybody wanted him on the teaching, you know, teaching circuit. Every, every, every big company wanted him to come and do their, you know, their conference. Every, like, the Good Morning America, he was on every show. And he said he started realizing that he started getting a big head, that he was actually thinking to himself. He said, I could think one way or another way. I, he actually started thinking that I am the best writer that's ever written, ever, ever, like, ever. Like, I, I took these 30 pages, and I'm making, it's a, it's a, I'm making millions and millions of dollars. And then he sat down, and he said, you know something? There's another perspective. And this is what he, this is what he said. And, and I want us to think about this in our own personal lives. He says, why has this happened to me, and what can I learn from it? Not, not, not I'm so good, I'm so great, I'm so, I'm so amazing, I'm so entitled, I'm so privileged. Why is this happening to me? In our lives, we need to be asking the question, why? And you know what it is? It's called the grace of God. Things happen to us in a good way because of the grace of God. And that's exactly what Paul says. Paul says this, he lived it out. He lived a sense of wonder. Ephesians chapter three, verse two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse seven, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by working in his power. So again, over and over and over again, he uses the word grace. And you know what grace means? Literally means undeserved gift, that you didn't deserve it. I want to tell you the biggest problem in the world, besides the fact that we can't take naps every day after lunch. I've been threatening for two years to put pods up here so we can take a nap after lunch. All my employees are going to reach it. We live in a society. I'm going to make some of you. I'm going to talk to Will again. Will, can me and you have a conversation? I think we live in a world that's summed up by one word, the word entitled. Oh, people agree with me. Entitled. I, it, 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 it's not just one subdivision. It's every subdivision. It's the five-year-old kid in a $20,000 golf cart. Or the 17-year... I'm going to get myself in trouble. Will Riddle at journeycommunity.net. We, 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 we ride around, we walk around, we talk we're, like we're entitled. I deserve that, that $100,000 truck with the big tires and all the stupid lights around it. No, you know what I deserve? You know what I deserve? A brand new Ranger bass boat. That's what I deserve. I ain't getting it, but I deserve. You know what? I'm thankful we don't get what we deserve. Because you know what we deserve? Death, hell, and the grave. That's what we deserve. We deserve that right there. But Jesus willingly went to the cross and took my place so I didn't get what I deserved. So I don't have to get what I deserve. 
You know what I think we could do? I think we would do, us, all of us would do ourselves a favor. If instead of going, here's all the things I think I'm entitled to get, instead of going, you know something, God, thank you for everything that you've given me. Just, just the way you've given it to me. Thank you for the house I have. Thank you for the car that I drive. Thank you, thank you for the car that I don't drive, that I, I have good sneakers that work fine, right? Maybe, just maybe, that would change the way we look at the rest of the world too. We didn't look at ourselves as entitled. That's what, that's what, that's what grace is. Grace is understand, it's unmerited favor. It's getting something we didn't deserve. And so we need to, we need to change that perspective of ourselves. It, it's interesting. I love the way um, there was a queen in the Old Testament. Her name, her name was Esther. And she was wealthy and King Xerxes had put her in the highest position. And her, and, her, and her uncle came to her and just said, Mordecai came to her and said, you weren't created for wealth. You weren't created for richness. You weren't, you weren't even created to be a, a queen. You were created to give back what you got. You were created for such a time as this to lead the Jewish people from getting killed. And you know what she did? She didn't go, well, I'm the queen. She went, you know something, you're right. And she petitioned Xerxes, and she said, you're about to kill my people. Grace. But what would happen if we looked at our lives in those terms? If we literally were chasing after a purpose in our lives? Because that's what revived people do. They chase after a purpose. They don't walk this world aimlessly. And they do everything they do with great humility. As a matter of fact, they don't care if they don't get any recognition as long as Jesus is made famous in what they do. That's it. They don't care about their name being attached to it. I was watching a show a couple months ago and they took the star player off the team and they, they took, took his jersey. And what are you taking my job? I'm the star player. And they said this, you've been playing for the name on the back of the jersey and it's time that you start playing for the name on the front of the jersey. The name of the front of the jersey is the team. What would happen if we did that? We played for the team, yeah. right? And then what if we looked at life with different perspective and everything that God's ever done for us, we go, wow, sense of awe and wonder. That's what I want to do this week. This is our challenge. I want us this week to sit down, maybe by ourselves for a little while, start today, do it every day this week and just go, God, Maybe, maybe, maybe we're not weighing things out about successes and cost benefit and we're just going, oh, man. God, could you just give me a purpose? It doesn't have to be a big purpose. It can just be any purpose. Whatever purpose you want from me, I'll take. And, and God, can you, can you, when, when I'm praying, God, could you open up my eyes to the areas that I'm, I'm not humble in? And if you go, ah, oh, there's no, there's areas, you better check that area right there. And, and how about if we just made a list of all the things that God's done good for us? If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, you probably saw it this morning. I posted, I had one of those memories come up 13 years ago. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting right there. We had pews in here. It was right before the renovation. And I'm sitting right there. I'm praying, I'm on my knees. And Wendy Stickle, a good friend of mine, and Blake Wood, and Doug Mullard, another good friend of mine, they were all praying over me. 
And when I posted it right away, I was like, man, you know what that picture is? That's a picture of God's blessings right there. That's a picture of all the good things he's ever done in my life. Even when I didn't recognize him, that's a picture of his faithfulness. And I started listing things out. And I literally, I started making a list on my phone. And the very first thing on my list was, God, thank you that you've used this church to baptize 1,500 people over the last 18 years. That is amazing. That's because of you guys. That's because of you guys. In a couple of weeks, we're doing baptism. We're going to baptize another, I don't know how many, um, 14 or 1,500 at one day. So it's going to be an amazing, amazing day, right? Man, God, look around at this place. This is a blessing. We didn't deserve this, right? Go down to Sherwood sometime and look at that place. We have two churches, y'all. Think about that for a second. I mean, it's still a lump in my throat. Two churches, 100 people down there, and I don't know, whatever we have up here, you know, 1,500 or something like up here. It's actually a little bit more than that. You're all laughing. It's actually, with online people, five, 600 online, I mean, sometimes it's almost 2,000 people. It puts a lump in my throat. God's poured out his blessings. Hey, let me throw, throw one out. Rich is on our finance team. We had a budget last year, $2.5 million. That was a projected income budget or income. And we were afraid because of COVID. There's no way. We were actually, there's no way we're going to reach it. We did the end of the year stuff because of your faithfulness, because of your giving, because of the mission in this world that we know that we're a part of, the purpose that God, $2.8 million. That's what you guys brought. Make a list of all the areas that God's been faithful. Can we pray together real quick? Let's pray. Man. God, you're so good. I could end that prayer right there. God, you're so good. Your mercies endure forever and ever and ever. Where things seem to be crooked, you make them straight, God. We don't have purpose. You give us purpose. Genesis says, when the enemy trends, tries to harm us, you turn those things around and make them good. You restore what, as Joel said it, what the locust is eating, you restore. God, in our lives, please, would you do that? Would you allow us to have a sense of purpose in the world that we live in? Would you allow folks in this room to find their purpose? What God, you've called them to be so they can be everything that you've called them to be. And God, I pray that we would do everything we do at this place with a sense of humility, with a sense of just awe and wonder of your grace and your mercy. And God, ultimately, we would see everything in the perspective of who you are and thank you for everything that you've done. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross for all of our sins, washed them all away. God, thank you for that. Thank you that I can have that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.